welcome to The Playground. And I'm the host, uh, your host, Eddie Flewellen. And first of all, I got to say that I've been pretty much blessed these last few weeks and having like some great musicians here. Um, I've had musicians from, uh, you know, members of the band Sweets, of course, uh, members of Stone City, uh, members of Confunction. And today is no exception. I have an exceptional guitarist. He's a member of Cameo. Now, ladies and gentlemen, how about welcoming uh, Charlie Singleton, guitarist extraordinaire. How are you doing, Charlie? <laughs> great, man. Great to be here. First of all, I want to say thank you. Thank I'm you. Just here thank in the you. dungeon in quarantine, <laughs> uh, looking for something to do, and all of a sudden, you come along. So, so you're it. Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! That's gonna be. We're gonna address that too, and like how, how you're handling this whole thing too. Um, first of all, as I said before we even started, I love your room, man. I love it. I love it. Oh, thank you. Thank so, you. So this is my playground, and as Charlie said, that's his playground, and we should all have a playground like that. <laughs> so. Um, by way of introduction, um, Charlie has done many things. Of course, you know he's 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 famous for being with with Cameo, but he's also got he's also got uh, his own CDs. Um, let's see, Modern Man. Yeah, <laughs> that's one. Um, nothing ventured, nothing gained. That's another one. And Man on a Mission. And that's Man your on latest one. That that was that's been a while, but that's that's your latest one, right? That's been a while. Although I've released uh, uh, quite a few things under. Okay. You know, recently, but independently. So obviously, it's not going to okay. have the same. Please, uh, stuff. please. Now, are these these uh, CDs under your name, right? Under my name, under okay. Charlie Singleton Phantom. So anything Phantom, any variation of the Phantom in the title, and Charlie Singleton. That's that's me. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Well, what's the name of your latest single? The, the latest CD? Well, the latest. Well, there is no latest CD. Okay, yet. I'm they're working all on something now. Yeah, there. Well, I mean, it was a double album. The, uh, mm -hmm. the projects that I actually released uh, fairly recent, within the last 10 years, have been uh, Charlie Singleton Phantom products, and they've been gotcha. double CDs. And the first one was actually called Phantom of the Hip Hopper. Wow, okay. Which is interesting, which is a double CD. And then the, uh, the one a few years ago was actually called Phantom Mania. So, gotcha. And that was a double CD as well. So all of the projects uh, recently have been double CDs. Not quite sure if I'm going to do that this time around, but I'm working on a new product. Okay. And the product that I'm actually working on now is, believe it or not, is an acapella project. Oh, okay. So all vocals, even what people tend to think of drums are actually vocals, but it's done in sort of a, a modern new age kind of, uh, you know, way, whereas I sort of compile uh, this, this archive of, of drum sounds using my voice and mm -hmm. I use that and I sequence those sounds uh, mm -hmm. in terms of drum sounds like a drum machine within the program. Completely acapella. And did layer of voices on top of that so it's sort of a uh, old school with a uh, new school uh, feel. Nice. And it nice. ranges everything from ballads to, to funk as well. And, and all called, voice. All voice. All voice. Wow. And it's called, wow. And it's called Phantom Unthug. Phantom Unthug? Yeah. <laughs> Phantom Unthug. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, you were saying, now, is this going to be a double CD as well? Did you say that? It is? Well, I haven't decided. Uh, I want to keep it uh, separate because I want people to focus on, you know, I mean, obviously, they're going to be two completely different CDs. Mm -hmm. But I want to try and get the most uh, mileage out of the acapella and have people really focus on that because I want, I want that to be sort of like the main focus right now. Awesome. awesome. But uh, awesome. but there is, but there are other projects. There are actually three solo projects that I'm working on now. Mm -hmm. uh, wow, three? Uh, yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, believe, believe it or not, the other CD is actually uh, uh, called, now this is music, this is full production, but it's also, uh, the production is much more elaborate. So the, t the two CDs, these two projects is from actually from one extreme to the other. So from straight acapella with no production except voice to the, uh, the, uh, the, the CD, which I'm talking about now, which is mm -hmm. full production. Uh, in mm -hmm. some cases with strings and, and so forth. And, and there, uh, of course, some songs with just acoustic guitar and just okay. vocals. And it's called, uh, believe it or not, <laughs> Natural Born Thriller. <laughs> Phantom of Natural it. Born Thriller. I love it. I love it. I love it. So all the uh, projects are usually in character with uh -huh. a certain theme. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, the first, the title track, which is Natural Born Thriller, is actually... Uh, uh, a song about a person who's actually been framed for a crime he didn't commit. Oh, wow. You know, wow. And okay. so, but it has a comedic twist to it. But at the same time, it, the production, it starts out real simple and gets really crazy at the end in full mm -hmm. production. Then all of a sudden it goes into rock guitar solos and stuff mm -hmm. like that. So, mm -hmm. but, so you, you, you're, you're quite the writer. Like you just said, this one is, is themed. There's like a lot of themes. That are, is that how you like do your albums? Do you come in with like a theme for the whole album or? Yeah, I think that's sort of like, uh, there's always been uh, <clears throat> sort of like a concept of mine. Mm -hmm. And I try not to overthink it, but the thing is, things kind of turn out that way. Well, I was going to say, how do, you, how do you not overthink it when you're a musician? <laughs> no, that's the thing. It's like, it happens. It starts off as something simple. As a writer or as a producer, but when a musician starts adding parts, then it turns into something else. Mm -hmm. Before you know it, you've got this. But no, what I've always done uh, from the uh, whole creation of the whole Phantom concept, uh, because he's a character, you know, mm -hmm. within a character, within a character, mm -hmm. <laughs> basically. Mm -hmm. And the whole concept of him is sort of like very mysterious. But uh, in terms of the way he dresses and, and this, this, his style and, and uh, you know, the music that he creates, uh, I want to sort of carry that theme on with the music. So what mm -hmm. we create is these different uh, settings. It's sort of like where people can sort of envision something by listening to it. Got it. Got and it. that's what radio actually used to do, where you can hear a song and visualize, mm -hmm. you know, where the artist was coming from, and you can set up uh, a visual mm -hmm. of what was actually happening on the record or what they were singing about. Or, uh, mm -hmm. But in, in this modern age, you know, we rely solely on videos to create that. Right. So right. there's less actually attention and emphasis actually put in the music itself because people are really relying on the video. So if you uh, notice a lot of songs of lesser uh, quality, uh, lower production, but the video says whatever they want to say. But if you mm -hmm. heard a lot of those songs for the first time by themselves, you're like, what is this? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we're trying to create something that uh, even without a video, that when you hear the songs, there's a storyline in there and the production supports the storyline. Awesome. And the character, he's always in character depending on the song he's got. So mm -hmm. always it's so interesting because you, you hit upon a point there as far as like uh, uh, videos and everything. And I used to say, I mean, even with, with um, like movies that are on now and everything back in the day. Oh, and before I go there, I want to go back to what you were saying as far as FM um, for the youngsters. FM radio was far different than what it is now. <laughs> so, yes, it is. Just like Charlie yes, said, I mean, that was the kind of stuff that what, what he's alluding to is like stuff that you would hear on FM radio. Um, yeah. 
and I was going to uh, highlight as far as like videos, uh, they're great, awesome today, you know, but back in the day, there were no videos and everything was left to the imagination, you know, and Absolutely. I love that. I love that. And I think that kind of contributed to, uh, uh, to, to like the, the, the hitness, if you will, of, of the song, because we were able, we were allowed to use our own, own imagination. So what you're doing, right. I, I mean, I, I love where you're headed as far as that. Now, are you going to, obviously, are you going to incorporate video with your, with your releases? At some point, yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. Not sure yet. And of course, it's not going to be for every song, but I would love to do uh, okay. for the singles. Yes. Okay. Especially That's for the conceptual yeah. stuff, for the, you know. Yeah. 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 And for, for where you're going, man, it's like, man, I, <laughs> I got to say, I mean, this is a movie you're talking about. <laughs> Oh, pretty much, you know, uh -huh. uh, but it varies from song to song. Some of the songs are relatively simple, but still mm -hmm. the uh, the concept is there. It's in character, mm -hmm. depending on what he's talking about. It's still the whole uh, thing is just to pull you into something. So whether mm -hmm. it's an acoustic guitar and vocal or whether it's full production, the concept is still the same. The intent is still the same. Mm -hmm. Now, so, it sounds like creatively, man, you're you're always moving. I mean, just your brain is like always working. I mean, you were just talking about like double out, double CDs. <laughs> Oh yeah, double what? CDs like that. You know, we try and get folks their money's worth. And Man. the thing is, I've got this. Pro I'm not. I'm not gonna say it's a problem. I've got this blessing, I should say. Mm -hmm. that I'm never. I was gonna say that's a that's a great problem to have. <laughs> yeah, great problem to have. Mm -hmm. That I'm never stumped for i I'm never stumped for ideas. I'm never wow. void of like ideas. And sometimes, even though it's a blessing, mm -hmm. there are times when it's actually a curse. Uh, in, in what way? Something that you're really adamant about finishing, that you uh -huh. just sat down to try and say, okay, let me get this out of my head. And you'll mm -hmm. actually start the production. You mm -hmm. get right in the middle of it and you're hearing something else. It's like, oh, no, 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 leave me alone. Just stay away for now. Mm -hmm. And then you're working through it. You're making parts and you like the way things are going. And then you're like, okay, I'm just going to take a break and start working on this other <laughs> right quick, just so I won't forget it, right? I love Next it. Uh -huh. thing you know, that's where you are. Ah, and mm -hmm. then you you know you're like I'll come back to that one later, mm -hmm. and then you got and then you'll be right in the middle of this one at some point, mm -hmm. and the same thing happens. Ah. So, so, look, I I'm not complaining about it, right? But there are right. times when you can't control it, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so that's how it ends up being a double CD with something. So okay, well I got a concept gotcha. for an album. Next thing you know, you're putting out a double CD. Okay. And the same thing right now. The reason why they're three different products because three different projects because they're three different genres. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. uh, like I said, the uh, the one that I want to release first is uh, Phantom Unthug, the acapella project. And mm -hmm. uh, and uh, eventually I'm going to release a free single from from the uh, uh, Natural Born Thrillers album. But mm -hmm. there's also a project that I'm working on. This more of acoustic project. Uh, that I managed to convince friends from around the world, uh, ladies from different countries to do the background. So the ladies from seven different countries actually doing project uh, background and video for this song that I wrote called, We're All In This Together. And seven it's basically different countries. Seven different countries. And they're all accomplished singers. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and uh, basically it's just acoustic guitar, and me. Mm -hmm. And and originally I did the background vocals and I was like, you know, we're gonna have to do something a little bit different. Because especially mm -hmm. what's going on. Obviously this the title speaks for itself. We're all mm -hmm. this. So I wanted mm -hmm. a more universal feel, but I wanted a more of an angelic sound 
in the mm-hmm. background. Mm-hmm. And I said, mm-hmm. as opposed to just, hey, you know, a lot of wonderful singers here. And I said, why don't you just reach out to some folks from different countries mm-hmm. and uh, get them on there. So the video is going to uh, encompass that along with who they are and where they're from. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. blah, 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 from Australia, from Philippines, from Japan, you know, from uh, Italy, from yeah, we've got people from all over and they've come together. They've actually made this work. Mm-hmm. And uh, with the, trust me, it was a, it was, it was, it was quite, quite a chore. I'm not, mm-hmm. you know, some, some work put in, in terms of the different time zones and so mm-hmm. forth. Mm-hmm. But, uh, also, you know, U.S. is, U.S. is representing as well. Right. But right. that was actually contemplated on that actually being the first single. Mm-hmm. But I'm sort of getting a feel for mm-hmm. what's happening out here because it's constantly changing right you know right. and now i think that's going to determine what product what project i actually release first because just okay. when i'm ready to sort of drop something and get ready to go then the whole dynamics out here in the, in the world sort of change right. So, right okay pull back as you know uh now is probably not the time to ask folks to buy anything mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know or it's something mm-hmm. like that so, so, right. so I'm going to drop the first single and, and so forth like that. So, you know, I'm sort of getting a, a feel for what's going on out here mm-hmm. and trying to be sympathetic and conscious of not really uh, putting people in a position where at least people I know or my fan base feel like they're obligated to do something simply because I released something. Oh, uh, okay. Okay. You know. As, as far as your writing, your, your, your songwriting, um, like you were saying that, that you'll come up with like these ideas in the middle of while you work on a, a certain project or whatever. And, yeah. and you, you said, you know, if, it, if it's really heavy, I mean, you'll stop and go record that idea and then come back to this. Um, and, and I'm guilty of this also where, where I'll like start a project and because I'm moving on to something else, the, this other project or the project before are unfinished. Okay. Yeah. So I have like a whole lot of things. How do you, how do you, obviously you're disciplined enough to where you can come back and you'll finish, you'll finish like your idea. Am I? Am I really? Well, hey, you're the the double and triple CD guy. (laughs) So apparently you are. (laughs) But, but how, how do you do that? I mean, how, how do you approach it where, you know, I got, I got to complete this idea. I got the CD that I got to work on. I mean, how do you approach it? Do you wait for inspiration to hit you or do you, is this like, like we should look at it. This is my job. I got to go to work now. I never treated like that. Okay. I never treated like that. If if nothing, if I'm not moved, then I don't open that door. Mm. And there mm-hmm. are times, I mean, obviously I can go for days without doing that because I have, you know, I have kids as well. 
Mm-hmm. But there are mm-hmm. days when I don't come in here, don't do anything. Mm-hmm. And that's not necessarily intentional. It's, you know, if you, if, if it's in you, if it's flowing, it's flowing. But I'm not going to come in here and make something happen. Got you. Okay. I love so it. I try not to take, uh, take on more than I can chew. I mean, it's like, it's not, I'm really only working on myself right now. I do things uh-huh. for, for friends for free, you know, mm-hmm. like, uh, mm-hmm. If they need some guitar parts and you know we'll hook that up and we'll just do that virtually and we'll keep things moving gotcha. and i'll do that if they ask me to do something if they're working within a time frame but in terms mm-hmm. of my stuff i've got so much stuff floating around here that any given time if i want to walk <laughs> in it's not a question of it's more of a question of what you're going to pull up as opposed to what you're going to do ah uh, ah love it so love what where will man, i finish man. today what 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 can i tweak today as opposed to what uh-huh. can I create? Uh-huh. If I have to sit in, because if I have to sit in here and create, then that's the wrong day for it. Because uh, I, okay. the concept and the idea should come to me when I'm not in this room. Mm-hmm. And that's going to inspire you to come in here and develop it and turn mm-hmm. it into something. Mm-hmm. And it almost always does not turn out like the original idea in your head. Right. You know how right. that goes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can you can wake up mm-hmm. with a great idea. You've got all these parts in your head. When you start putting them all together, you're like, well, that's not how. Right, <laughs> right. right. And then all of a sudden, it morphs into something else. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And then you're like, okay. And then that's when you just sort of have to just follow the spirit. You just have to say, okay, well, let's just see where this takes me. Right. It's not like that. It's not like everything you can actually use, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but it's the experience. It's the process that gets you to the next one. And sometimes right. that original idea turns out to be something perfect for something else you might be using. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I like so how you I, put that. It's a, it's a process. It's, a, it's the process. And that takes you to the next thing. I love that. Yeah. I love that. So now, I don't now, stress any of it. If I'm, if I'm hearing it, I'm hearing it. If I don't, I don't, I don't even come in here. All good. All good. I love it. I love it. Now you talk about like, and obviously that that kind of came through when you were talking about like all the all the different projects that you're working on. You're a man that covers a bunch of different genres. You know, a bunch of different ones. You know, um, uh, what is is there a favorite of yours? Is there a, a certain genre that you call? Like for me, I love classical. I mean, I started out with classical and all that stuff, and I, I always refer to that to refer to that as my home. You know, I'll always come back to home base and, you know, do a whole wow. bunch of like different classical you things see? and all that stuff. Didn't know yeah. that, man. Oh, really? <laughs> oh yeah, that's wow. home. That's that's where it started. I was playing like the box and the Beethovens, the big sonatas and all that stuff. So is is there such a thing as as far as a certain genre that's a home for you or is all of it like, you know, hey, it's Well, this is gonna home. come as a surprise to you because that's how I started classical music. Oh, okay. Scholarship on the French horn. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Music scholarship on French horn. That's how I got to college. That was the only way I was going get to get through on college. On the French horn. Yeah, I got a, a scholarship on the French horn. Actually, now this is the thing that uh, most people don't know. Uh, I had a choice. I can either take the French horn scholarship and study, study music or take the, the, science, the science scholarship and go to LSU. The science scholarship? Yeah. Believe it or not, that was, uh, okay. don't let we that got, get we out. Got, we, we, we got Einstein here. <laughs> oh. <laughs> the play, the doubles on French horn. <laughs> I love it. 
I love it. No, so, 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 what what happened between uh, you you went to college on on the scholarship? What happened between the French horn and science to this point? You know what what you know. Well, I'm still a scientist. Did, did, did you pick up the guitar like during that, or you the guitar was like all, always there? I actually started guitar like the last year uh, in high school. Maybe a okay. little before that, I mm -hmm. picked that up. But I started playing instruments in middle school in eighth grade. Oh, okay. And I only did that, uh, first of all, because my friends, you know, I went into art and then they went into music and all of a sudden I was this outcast <laughs> and, uh, and because I knew we couldn't afford a horn. You uh, know? Uh, all right. That right. was, you know, I didn't want to deal with that. And, uh, mm -hmm. But eventually, and they started in seventh grade, but eventually I went in eighth grade and started playing school horn and mellophone. Mm -hmm. That's how we started out. And then it went to French horn. Mm -hmm. But... Uh, and by the time I got to high school, I started playing different instruments, you know, borrowing instruments from my friends, taking home, because I realized uh, once I started music in middle school, I was like, I think this is what, you know, uh -huh. I think this is my thing. I think this is what I was meant to do. Now, uh -huh. not necessarily the French horn itself, but just music in general. Right. And I was just going to yeah. ask, now how, where did the French horn come in? I mean, you know, I mean, talk about some instruments. How, how did French horn come about? By default, was, because, uh, you know, wow, we could, I by wanted default. to play, by default, because I wanted to play trumpet, you know, uh -huh. I wanted to play things like saxophone, but like I said, mm -hmm. my mom couldn't afford that, so I was, okay. I, I had no choice. But French horn wasn't cheap. <laughs> well, no, but it was a school horn. Oh, okay, okay. It was a school okay. horn. So mm -hmm. I started out playing mellophone, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, which, yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> which is interesting. And all right. of you know, <laughs> all of these horns were just... Like it was crazy. It's like, uh huh. Uh huh. Uh -huh. Spray them down before you. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. 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 Now this is at a time when when horn bands were like the big thing back in that day, right? Oh yeah, yeah. This okay. is uh, you know, the whole marching band, middle school, and different things like that. So that's how mm -hmm. I started, and I kind of mm -hmm. worked up through the ranks there, and eventually lit mellophone and got on French horn when mm -hmm. one of the uh, you know, the, one of the upperclassmen went mm -hmm. on, and then we started moving up. So I went from fourth and and mellophone, and then he went to the third place on French horn, and right. sort of had to readjust my whole thing. But the whole time, I was always interested in other instruments. Ah. So uh, in ninth grade, I started really sort of experimenting mm -hmm. on other instruments, other school instruments at first in high school, and, mm -hmm. and led me to sort of borrow different instruments from my friends to take home, and that's how I started. Mm -hmm. So it's not like I studied other instruments uh, in school, I did that actually on my own. French horn was the only instrument that I actually studied. But mm -hmm. I learned to play other instruments like the trombone, like I went through brass instruments first. So by the time I graduated from high school, I actually played about 14 instruments. Wow, wow, Boardly. wow. It was uh -huh. crazy. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. So, and was reading on a lot of them. But keep in mind, I was not that athletically inclined kid you know, mm -hmm. I wasn't really part of a clique. I was basically a little nerd. And uh, <laughs> you, you and me both, believe me, I can, I can relate. <laughs> yeah, you know, so even though I had friends and people that I was close to, uh, mm -hmm. once I set my mind to something I wanted to do, it sort of almost became an obsession when I was young. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I quickly became bored with the French horn, even uh -huh. though I, I stayed on that instrument and started uh -huh. branching out on other things. And by the time I was in 10th grade, no, I'm sorry, 11th grade, I did my first arrangement 
for the marching band. And it was called and Smiling Faces. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> These Smiling Faces? <laughs> These Smiling Faces. Okay. You, man. I hadn't quite worked out all of the things. I had all the parts, wrote out all the parts perfectly. Uh-huh. Just the, the ranges of uh -huh. instruments. Uh-huh. And, uh... <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. Now we're talking about that, and like I say, These Smiling Faces, we're talking about the... Uh-huh, we're talking, dun, 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 dun. That's it. Smiling faces, and, okay, and okay. transposing some of those instruments to the keys, you know, because obviously, uh, you know, if you're writing for French horn, if I'm writing part for saxophone, I figured, okay. It took me a minute to figure out, but even though I ultimately corrected, right. that I do to do the same thing, minor third down, you know, something like right. that for the saxophone. In the 11th grade again, in the 11th yeah. grade. And, but I had help from, uh, Mr. Bird, who was a music director, who helped me a lot because he saw the potential that I had. So he spent mm -hmm. a lot of time with me mm -hmm. and uh, he helped me put it together. And I was like, I think I got this. Mm -hmm. And we eventually corrected that. But, you know, he didn't do it for me. He just mm -hmm. showed me, he said, this is what you got to do. No, you got to blah, 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 whatever. Go home, take it home with you. And, uh, and we actually did that at one of the games. So wow. yeah, I even got bored with that at uh -huh. some point uh -huh. and decided that uh, I know this is going to trip you out. You know, I had, uh, he wasn't my blood brother, but he was like my older brother. Uh, and he was a drum major at Southern University. Mm -hmm. And he used to do some amazing things with the baton. He was not even a musician. Oh, okay. But he used to do some crazy stuff and he was very athletic and uh -huh. do, go back and spin his back and do back flips and stuff like that. I was like, right. I want to do that. Just all over the place. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh -huh. Right. Well, the end of that year, I was drum major. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. So you did like the whole like, you know. So I did the whole thing uh with that and I still Tell me you were throwing the baton in the air and all that stuff. I was doing all that. I was twelve doing fire. What? But the, the thing is that it was crazy. And uh -huh. and I did that uh through twelfth grade while I was still uh in the marching band playing different instruments. So whenever uh -huh. somebody was missing or couldn't make it, I would double on that instrument to fill in for them because we had a full French horn section. And I would double on saxophone if Kenneth couldn't make it. I right. would double on clarinet if Greg couldn't make it. I would double on blah, blah, blah if somebody couldn't make it. So you were, would... you were the marching band. Charlie Singleton was the marching band. <laughs> I was more like the all-purpose guy. It's like, well, Greg can't make it today, Charles. Charles. <laughs> <laughs> but that was, but I loved it uh -huh. by the time. But but because of that, uh, the time that I put into it was is how I was able to, mm -hmm. to uh, you know. But we also in Louisiana we have parishes, and I hope I'm not mm -hmm. talking too much here. No, 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 please, please. No, so, New Orleans yeah. boy, by the way, just so everybody knows. <laughs> What's so, up? New Orleans boy, by the way, just so everybody oh, knows. Oh, all know. right. New Orleans. New Orleans. New Orleans in the house. And that's uh -huh. where I was born, you know. Uh -huh. Mm -hmm. But grew up uh, primarily in Baton Rouge in a place outside Baton Rouge called Scotlandville. That's where we mm -hmm. grew up. Mm -hmm. And uh, at a time, you know, we had parishes and uh, in the state, they wanted to put together an all-parish band, which is supposed to be the best of the musicians from different parishes to form one band to perform different things like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was terrified, you know, when I got the offer because I really never been around white folks before. Oh, wow. Okay. So it was like, 
okay, how do I work this? Because, you know, uh, we had a lot going on back then. Right, the exactly, exactly. Especially mm -hmm. in the South. So mm -hmm. primarily because of that, not because of what was actually going to, you know, I was just, you know, I didn't want her to be that token in the band. Mm -hmm. you know, I wanted to be recognized for what I can actually do and contribute. But I also realized by the time I got that offer, and it took me later to realize that, and not to put it this way to be conceited, that I got in there and realized that I was exceptional to them. I had to be exceptional to get in a, a, an all-parish band mm -hmm. with right. all-white kids. Right, understood. I didn't really think of it that way at the very beginning, but I realized they were just average musicians. Uh-huh, uh -huh. That everybody in the band that I was with in my high school was actually better than these guys. Oh, wow. So it was sort of like, uh, we had to be. Mm -hmm. So when you start right, thinking about right, sports, we did. when you think about academics, mm -hmm. we had to be two, three times as good just to be mm -hmm. recognized. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So by the time they, they say, okay, he's, he's good enough to be in our band. No, mm -hmm. no, he's actually good, good enough. enough to go, he's good enough to direct your band. Uh -huh. <laughs> that sort of thing. Uh -huh. And I went through that episode where I played French horn in there for the, the first year and, and I never moved up. Mm -hmm. They would never mm -hmm. move me up. People would come in and I would sit in that fourth chair and people would come in and sit in front of me. And then that you were definitely better than. And, and I stayed in that position. They'd never moved me up. But the, but the weird thing is that the band director, I'm not going to mention his name, no, okay. but uh, he would use me as an example whenever kids couldn't figure things out. So I had to actually help them with their parts, but mm -hmm. I never advanced to third seat. Mm -hmm. And, and were you recognized for what you did for, for helping them out for, or, you know, within, within among the musicians. Yes. Right. Okay. But never, no one ever knew. It's like, you know, most people like in the audience, are like, is that a little black kid back there? Uh, See, how did he, uh, how did he get in here? Uh, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Uh -huh. But mm -hmm. the thing is, of course, you could not move me up in ranks and ultimately have me in first chair mm -hmm. because for all of the people who had issues back then, mm -hmm. they wouldn't understand that. You mm -hmm. know, they would just perceive that. There's so many ways that they could look at that. Oh, they mm -hmm. just probably felt sorry for him just putting him in that chair. Oh, wow, wow. Make mm -hmm. it politically correct or whatever. Mm -hmm. but, and of course, uh, nobody would make it public how good you really are. Right. You know, I mean, I, but the thing is, I didn't think I was that good, meaning that I just, oh, right. I we never do. We never do. Right. I, yeah. Right. I just thought I was a musician, but I realized uh -huh. that when I got in there, I was like, man, I, these guys played like, like we were in middle school, mm -hmm. but they were decent musicians, mm -hmm. but they certainly were not the best of the best. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Uh, and the instructor, obviously he had his issues and he had to play his part because uh, he was between the, the band and the parents that he had to appease. Mm -hmm. And uh, he never addressed it. And even when I got on the bus, normally uh, to go to different locations uh, to perform with the, with the all-parish band, I was usually mm -hmm. sitting by myself mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. until this one girl who played flute in the band, uh -huh. her name was Becky Ledesky. Oh, well, okay. <laughs> Okay. And she gets on the bus late and she gets on the bus late, comes down the aisle and I'm sitting up there like looking out the window and she just looks at me and she says, move over. Uh oh, okay. <laughs> I'm uh -huh. like, well, all right, right. All right, right. But my point is we never shared many words, but one day in that, while we were in rehearsal, rehearsing for something, 
she decided in her mind, I had no idea what was going on with her, even though I had gotten the notes on the guys, but you know, we weren't <clears> obviously. She decided to stop the rehearsal and stand up and give the instructor a piece of her mind. I was shocked. The band was shocked. Mm -hmm. And he says, Mr. Blah, 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 I've been in here and so forth and so forth. And Charles has been sitting there and he's clearly better than any, anybody in that section. Wow. He hasn't moved up. And he had no idea that she was going to say that. Uh -huh. And, he and said, neither, did, uh, you, neither did you. Did, did you. I did this. Right. <laughs> I was just uh -huh. trying to get through the rehearsal. Right. Like, oh, right. Geez. Right. I didn't right. even know her that well, except uh -huh. for, hey, Becky, how you doing, kind of thing. Uh -huh. Right. And she just decided one day in the middle of practice, because she saw me going over parts with these guys in second and first chair before mm -hmm. we started. Mm -hmm. And it bothered her. And it had been bothering her the whole time. And she stood up, stopped, and he let her speak her mind. And she told him how she felt about it. She told the whole class how she felt about it. And everybody got real quiet. Real right. quiet. So she said, I just don't think it's right. Wow. She said he wow. should be sitting in that first chair. And we clearly know, uh, you know, uh, the type of musician he is and so forth. And he's been here a while to warrant being in that chair. And I just don't understand why he's, he's not in the first chair. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. His, his response was, Becky, it's complicated. Have a seat. And that was the end of that? That was the end of that. We went back, business as usual. It's he complicated. Really, he just said it's complicated. That was it. Wow. So wow. I'm, I'm bringing this up because it's obviously it, I was like, mm -hmm. it hit me. It's like, okay, I don't mm -hmm. need to be here anymore. Mm -hmm. And I quit mm -hmm. shortly mm -hmm. after that. It, it's interesting too, because again, so, like, like, like the time that we're living in right now, that especially like the, the youngsters and all that stuff know what, you know, learn what we had to deal with, you know, as black people back in the day, you know, back then. I mean, it, it was, it yeah. was difficult. And I mean, that, that's, man, what a story. It's very difficult. Quite a story. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it, it motivated me to mm -hmm. really realize this, okay, I'm going to have to be better. I'm going to have to continue, continuously just advance if I want to accomplish anything. And I had to deal with the reality. It's like, if I'm going to be a classical musician, uh -huh. then you know if you're going to, uh, if your goal is to ultimately join some orchestra or symphony, then as a black person, uh -huh. a person of color, you had to be exceptional. You uh -huh. had to be. So I was working towards that, but I was also didn't give up other instruments. So by the time I got to Southern University, you know, uh -huh. uh, I played a number of instruments. Right. And even though I, I was in the marching band, uh, playing E flat horn, but in the concert mm -hmm. band, I played a, a number of horn, a number of instruments. Mm -hmm. And eventually I moved to the jazz department because of the confrontation that I had with Isaac Greggs in the marching <laughs> band. I, I seem to create problems wherever I go, obviously. Uh. <laughs> uh, but one thing my high school band director told me, he said, because he was an amazing sax player. Mm -hmm. And he told me, uh, he says, you're a performer. Wow. Whatever you do, he says, whatever you do, son, don't teach. And I was like, which I hadn't planned on being a teacher. Uh -huh. He said, because he says, I am a, he was honest. He said, I'm a frustrated performer. Okay. He's like, 
And of course, you know, I took the safe route, uh, you know, especially he says in college and, you know, we get that experience and the education behind us. He says, but life set in. Next thing you know, I had a family, mm. I had a kid, I had responsibilities and I had to take the safe route because he says, so if you can figure out some kind of way uh, to follow your dreams without having to settle, mm -hmm. then that's where you need to be. He says, because I see you as being a successful performer. Nice, nice. And that never left me, you know. Uh, now, 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 wow. was was that a dream of yours at the time? Was that a dream of yours at the time to be a performer, to get into the in the, into the, the, the business? Yeah, I mean, when I picked up the guitar, I was like, oh, man, this is it. You and know, he recognized it. that right from the start. He recognized that because of the time and effort I put into different instruments. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, when I started trying to do arrangements, and keep in mind, I did other arrangements. They didn't always work out. But of course, of but course. It was the experience. Uh -huh, right. it, was, it was the it was mm -hmm. that process right. that we're talking about, and right. that got me to that point. And by the time I got to to Southern, which is interesting, I went up there with the antennas like, okay, I'm already playing 17 instruments, 14, you know, 16, 17 instruments. I'm wow. trying to expand, uh -huh. right? Mm -hmm. So I have a lot of things that I wanted to learn, but I also realized that they were like, no, you're going to have to have an applied instrument. Anything else you learn on, you know, outside of this is going to be on your own, okay. but you're going to have to mass a certain amount of hours to graduate on mm -hmm. this instrument. On this one instrument. And that's right. going to require this many years. And I was like, mm -hmm. what? Mm -hmm. I said, so you're mm -hmm. telling me that now I get to college and I'm trying to expand. You tell me now I have to focus on one instrument <laughs> for four years and I already play 17. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So that didn't go over well. So obviously I was doing French horn, but I kept mm -hmm. changing majors. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I went from French horn to this instrument, but I also took on other instruments. I started playing uh, uh, contrabass first, mm -hmm. then I moved into violin. Mm -hmm. I started doing piano. I kept changing, but meaning that I kept advancing on all of those right. instruments at the right. same time. And French horn was just another instrument. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. I knew it was going to come back to bite me. Uh, so uh, come graduation time, when I completed every other course, all the academic courses and things like that, it came down to it where it was like, well, you don't have enough hours on an applied instrument, mm -hmm. even though you play 20 plus, mm -hmm. you know, 25, 30 instruments. This is, you got to have enough hours to graduate on an, apply, on, on an instrument. Mm -hmm. That created more of a problem for the department and the people that I'd uh, gone to school with than me because they protested. They said, this is insane. Uh -huh. You know, this man has been here all this time and he plays all of these instruments. Oh, okay. So they protested that. that, that. Oh, yeah. And the department, oh, okay. uh, some people actually in the department uh, who worked in the department uh, really were on my, my side and working with me to try and say, no, he needs to graduate. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. But I figured that, okay, I got the experience. I'm not going to teach. Uh, but no, it was a big thing at Southern at one point, And there were some protests over the fact that I wasn't allowed to graduate because I did not have enough hours on one instrument. On one instrument. When on I one played instrument. 30. Got you. So I got, got a question. Yeah. As, far, as far as the teaching, was teaching on the radar with you at all? Was, it, was that anywhere on your own personal radar that, you know, hey, yeah. I'm, I'm going to be a teacher? It was not. Yeah. And, and with, with all those different instruments that you had learned how to play, 
I would think that, you know, maybe an, an orchestra conductor would be somewhere in there or that they would recognize that in you since you know so much about all that. I, I envision all that. Ah, uh, okay. I envision all of that. But and especially not, having a range. Not, I mean, you're learning how to score and arrange and all that stuff in high school. So. Oh, yeah. By the time uh, I got to college, I was doing some amazing things. As mm -hmm. a matter of fact, I did uh, my, because, you know, I've been writing songs and stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, I wrote this song uh, while I was in college. The original version was called For You. And that song, I actually did a string arrangement that we were going to do with the New Orleans Symphony. Just acoustic wow, guitar Charlie. Wow, man. the New Orleans Symphony. This. I did uh -huh. that at 19. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So that was at 19. 18 or 19? 19. And right. uh, that, was, that was my dream. And we worked uh -huh. out all the parts and stuff. But that song, and it was it was amazing back then. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, the fact that I had an opportunity to do that. Right. You know, with that, with the caliber of musicians like that. It's like, I, that was a dream come true. For me. I'm sure. Nothing else happened in my life after that. It was like, <laughs> take me now. Life is complete, right? I'm good. <laughs> what? Right. I'm good. Right, right. But, so. uh, but eventually, that song ended up on the Cameo album. It's not right. just acoustic. I was just going to ask. We did a different version of it, uh -huh. a commercial version. But that was a song that I had done years ago in college, the original wow. version, and then I redid it. Wow. That's how crazy life is. Wow. wow. I started gravitating because of what was happening in the marching band and concert band. I was always, you know, right across the hall, down the hall was the jazz department. Mm -hmm. And I noticed that those musicians, those guys were like, I was like, wait a minute. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What's going on here? Right. I mean, those guys walking in, coming in from different parts of the country because of this program that they had. Right. Wow, I want to play like that. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. the French horn just became, you know, right. during that time, even though, uh -huh. because uh, I kind of not put it on the back burner, but I just kept expanding. And mm -hmm. I got in the mark, mm -hmm. I got in the uh, con uh, jazz band. And then that's now, opened my Now, what, what years are we talking here? What years are we talking about? Oh. 1927, 28. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I just want people to get a sense of like what, what the time was. I mean, you're doing all this. We're talking at like seventy. Yeah, we're talking. I, I entered uh, Southern University, 1972. Oh, okay, okay. At a time, graduating, early. Uh huh. And uh -huh. Got up there, 1972. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. from 72 to 74, you know, 75, basically. Uh, mm -hmm. I was like on the move, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. uh, and and the jazz instructor was connected with everybody because he was an accomplished musician, mm -hmm. and he really just saw some potential there and just kind of put me out there. And next thing you know, I'm playing bass in the jazz ensemble. Right. You know, we're going to Africa, and I was like, "Hold on, what's happening here?" What you know, really? Next thing you know, I'm on the. Uh, we opened up the jazz ensemble, or this uh, quartet basically opened up for Donny Hathaway at Radio City oh Music Hall. God, and I was right. like 18, 19 years old. And I was like, I'm just trying to stay on the horse <laughs> at this point. It was like. <laughs> right. <laughs> now I'm lugging the bass around. I'm like. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And I mean, with, with legends. I mean, with Donny Hathaway. With legends. All? But through him, we met, you know, I met Dizzy Gillespie. I met Miles Davis and people oh like that. Oh, my And you're just a kid yourself. 
I'm just a kid. I was blown away. Mm-hmm. And, uh, mm-hmm. but I had a chance to actually meet these people mm-hmm. and uh, not thinking that they would ever remember me. But later mm-hmm. on in life, you know, we kept connecting and hooking up and those people became like my mentors and family. Mm-hmm. Miles mm-hmm. was like my uncle later mm-hmm. on. Right. Wow. Okay. Didn't remember me from the first meeting, Uh but this is how we met again. It's like, well, that journey led me to, uh, because by that time, uh, I completely got into another level on guitar. Even though when I first got guitar in the end of 11th grade, uh, 12th grade, I didn't know how to tune it or anything. I just Uh made up stuff, my own tuning, but I would Uh learn stuff off the radio. Mm -hmm. And by the time I got to Southern, and get to the jazz department. There was a uh, another guy in, in in department who played guitar. He's and he heard me play. He's like, "What on earth? Wow, are you doing?" <laughs> no, he's like, "What? What kind of tuning is that?" Uh, uh-huh. you know, he saw the potential, and I basically started over with him. And okay. I put a lot of time and effort into it. Next thing you know, I was joining local bands and so forth, but still mm-hmm. in, in the jazz department. But mm-hmm. Alvin Batiste and Billy Cobham were good friends. Okay. okay. <laughs> Billy, Billy, Billy Cobham, everybody. Bill, Billy yeah. Cobham here. Billy right, Cobham. Right. Cr- oh my God. looking to start a new band. Mm-hmm. And he came, he was driving through and so forth. Like, and he and Alan was, Baptiste was spending time together. And, and, you know, Billy's like, I just want some young guys who can play. I'm not talking about people that I got to teach mm-hmm. or babysit. He says, I like that young energy. Mm-hmm. And I want to blah, 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 and so forth. And next thing you know, I get this call. And uh, from now on, it's just like, so how would you like to, to audition for Billy? And I was like, are you serious? What? I was like, of course. I said, but I, what? I don't really know. What it, I would have like started playing some of this stuff or whatever. Uh-huh. And Billy told Adam, like, no, that won't be necessary. Don't go back into the catalog and learn anything. Just mm-hmm. going to get together. Mm-hmm. and We're all going to jam. So mm-hmm. it was me, Randy Jackson, bass player. Right, right. Uh-huh. And another buddy of ours, Ray Mouton, who was crazy on guitar at the mm-hmm. time, much more mm-hmm. advanced. Mm-hmm. But it was a combination of us three. And he's like, I want all three of these guys. He was playing with us and <sighs> probably about half an hour, 45 minutes into the jam session, we were doing stuff. And then we mm-hmm. sort of playing some of his stuff from memory. And Billy Cobham, I mean, this is no easy stuff at all. I mean, this is no like- No easy you know, stuff right, at all. Right. And right. during this time, you know, he was pretty huge, you uh-huh. know, in this field. Uh-huh. And next thing you know, we were his band. And we were like, Goodness. still Goodness. trying to stay on that horse. You right. know, like, what? <laughs> whoa, whoa. Whoa, 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 what's <laughs> Right, uh-huh, uh-huh. You know, uh-huh. next thing you know, I didn't even own an amp. I'm like, <laughs> wow. I'm mm-hmm. like, this is crazy. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. but I'm just saying, you just never know what's going to take you. But, right. uh, just being and blessed. you were ready. I mean, you were focused enough to be to, to you know something's happening here, and I got to be ready for it. I felt I was ready, you know, because oh. I kept not only on that instrument, you know, mm-hmm. but on different instruments. I put the time and effort into, mm-hmm. and the fact that people recognized that. And through mm-hmm. Billy, I reconnected because he knew everybody. We had mm-hmm. a chance to, and through Billy, uh, right before Billy, I had a chance to meet John McLaughlin, you know, George Benson, and people like that. Keep, and keep, I keep, actually had keep going, couple, keep going, keep keep going down this long list of people that you played with. I mean, well, long I list. Did, and I mean, different genres as well. You know, <laughs> well, I didn't I didn't play with George Benson or John okay. McLaughlin. We did the John McLaughlin, uh, Billy Cobham tour. 
Oh, okay. That's how we met. And then okay. George Benson, we met through through Billy Cobham. Okay. I reconnected. Okay. Then associates um, then. <laughs> what's that? Then the, the, the associates then, the circle, your circles of influence here. <laughs> oh, it was crazy. And mm -hmm. it just kept growing, kept growing. But through mm -hmm. that process, uh, John McLaughlin actually agreed. Just like, look, when I get to New York, if you can get up there, I'll give you a few lessons. Oh, my gosh. I was like, what? Uh-huh. I was selling every when I got back home. I was selling everything right. to get back up to New York: shoes, right, right. shirts, hats, uh -huh. making mm -hmm. kites, everything. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. I'm getting New York, and, uh -huh. and I connected with him, and we had three sessions, mm -hmm. three two-hour sessions, and that mm -hmm. completely changed everything for me because mm -hmm. I was already mm -hmm. playing with Billy. Oh, I, right, right. Time we were off. Right. I was already, that's how we met. And, mm -hmm. you know, the fact that he heard me play with Billy and that's how I met him and so forth. So when I was a huge fan and so forth, I would really like to, and, and he turned out to be the nicest guy, you know, so after the tour lasted for a while. So uh -huh. during the tour, I got a chance to really kind of talk to him, get close and so forth. And mm -hmm. one thing led to another. Next thing you know, when we're on downtime, he said, come to New York. I want to be up there for a while. And we sit down, we go over something. Wow. 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 And it just took it to another level. But also through that process, I reconnected with Dizzy Gillespie, uh -huh. who remembered me, by the way. Uh -huh. Miles Davis didn't care who I was, didn't remember me. <laughs> you know, like, that sounds like man, Miles on everybody. Cuffing at <laughs> me and stuff like that. But eventually, I got to know him. Uh -huh. uh, you know, I met him through Billy, because he and Billy obviously knew one another. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when I had it, Billy was introducing us not knowing that I had met Miles before. And I was like trying to refresh his memory. Say, Davis, I met you a long time ago. Mm -hmm. I was in college and blah, blah, blah. And so far I go through this thing. Mm -hmm. Please meet you again. He says, so what? That was his response. Pleased to meet you. So what? He said, so what? You want a cookie? <laughs> what? What? Uh -huh, uh -huh. And everybody started laughing. Billy was laughing. Randy uh -huh. was laughing. And Randy was laughing. He looked at Randy. He's like, "What you laughing at?" You know that kind of thing. But he was like that. But over uh -huh. time, he and I started getting close. When I saw him the, the time after that, you know, mm -hmm. which is probably a couple months after that, he mm -hmm. actually recognized me. He says, "Are you following me?" Mm -hmm. I said, mm -hmm. "No, we're on the show tonight." He said. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How'd you get on this show? Just kind of messing around. Right, right, he, right. Playing around. Uh -huh. The next thing you know, uh, we developed this relationship. Mm -hmm. That, that, uh, that's, you know, that really was in place up until the time he actually passed. And mm -hmm. I called, eventually called him Uncle Miles. And, uh, oh, nice. He nice. was the reason why, uh, not to get too far off track, but Please. No, no, that's I, okay. uh -huh. he was the reason why I actually bought a Ferrari because he had a yellow one. Back in the 80s. Uh -huh, uh -huh, in uh -huh. the 80s. And I was like, you know, I was up in New York and we were hanging. And I was like, I love this car, man. I, I'm one of these days, I'm going to get one. Uh -huh. You know, and mm -hmm. whenever I do, because by this time we had each other's numbers, you know, whenever mm -hmm. I would go, whenever he would come down. And eventually we ended up having the same manager, you know, mm -hmm. uh, him, uh, a few other jazz musicians. At one point, it was Luther Vantross, it was Donnie Hathaway, Richard Pryor, Peebo Bryson. We were all the same firm, you know. Wow. But uh -huh. he taught me a lot of stuff about the business and he eventually told me that the, the uh, management company that we were with 
that they were actually taking money from. You know, ah, so, wow, that's that's always the story. He, like, he kept saying, "You gonna get the damn car? What? You keep uh -huh. talking about getting the car, get the car." And I was like, "Well, I don't have your money." Uh -huh. You know, uh -huh. kind of thing. Right. But eventually, I got one. But he was actually the motivation behind that. So, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah, I had a lot of wonderful experiences. Man, all big of that time. Led, I got an R and B. Obviously, that's why we grew up. You know, mm -hmm. and uh, funk music. You know, we did all that stuff. Mm -hmm. But I kind of backdoored into that. These guys actually heard of me through my whole jazz fusion presence, cameo. Uh -huh. So by the time I finished Billy and came back home, uh, formed my own band that was called Stargasm. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh huh. Uh huh. Uh, one of the promoters who were like, kind of like my older brother, uh, I performed, put it this way, I put together my own band and uh, mm -hmm. released a single kind of work on a single, you okay. know, locally in the, the tri-state area. But mm -hmm. he's booking bands. He was booking, bring, doing concerts with all the, you know, renowned funk bands from Confunction, you know, mm -hmm. SOS, Brick, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. a Gap band, and you name it. He right. had them. Uh -huh. And every opportunity he had, if I was playing anywhere within a 100-mile radius, whoever he booked on that show, I don't know how he did it, he, he he convinced these people to come see me perform. Wow. And that's with, your, with, with, with Stargasm. Oh, yeah. Okay. And that's okay. how I first met Charlie Wilson. That's how I met Sugarfoot. That's how mm -hmm. I met all these people. And I was like blown away. We were walking and doing right. stuff. Right. <laughs> They're coming to see me. Is that Sugarfoot? Uh-huh. Uh -huh. It's like, you know, it's crazy. Right. But uh -huh. and I had offers. Never had an offer from Ohio Player. But I had offers from a number of these bands to actually join uh -huh. the band. Mm -hmm. And I turned mm -hmm. them all down. And Cameo was one of them. That's how it started. And I actually turned them down twice. What? You turned down? Yeah. And, and, and finally, uh, my brother, whose name is William Garrison, that he's called mm -hmm. WG, who, who brought mm -hmm. him through. And he says, look, man, I am trying to like my best to try and expose you, to get people to hear you. And you've had all these offices. I'm going to stop bringing people through here. <laughs> He's like, because you starting to embarrass me now. So I think you were taking all these offers and you would have moved on to something else. Uh -huh. And I said, I'm just doing my thing. I'm enjoying doing my thing. And uh, me and Anthony Locke had stayed in touch uh, and, mm -hmm. and so forth. Mm -hmm. And uh, of course, you know, Larry knew what was happening, but he didn't come down, you know, but I mm -hmm. talked to him on the phone. Mm -hmm. But uh, I got a, a third offer from them. Wow. And I agreed to do the album, which is Knights of the Sound Tape. Oh, mm, I wasn't mm, going mm, to mm. join the band. Yes, yes. That's which, which, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Back in the day. Yeah, I wasn't going to join the band. Oh, that one. You got the blackmail. That one, that one, <laughs> that one. Dude, yeah. and I, I, I got to ask you, and I, I, man, you, what a career, what a career, what a career. With all of your knowledge as far as music and everything, and of course, Cameo at the time, big time horn band, you know. And believe me, I took lessons and all that stuff just from listening to them and all that stuff. And that particular album, Nights of the Sound Table and uh, uh, Nights by Nights, those oh, yeah. blazing, killer, crazy horns, I was like, if, oh, I wasn't, uh, if I wasn't a fan before, that got me. That one yeah. took me in hook, line, and sinker, that, that one. Um, that was one of the premier bands for me too, because I mean, oh of gosh. course, I liked all the other guys, but I didn't. I wasn't really into that music 
uh, in the earlier stages. Same I mean, here. I liked them, don't get me wrong, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. until they did Cameosis, and I heard the song uh, Cameosis. Uh-huh. <laughs> that was the one that changed everything. I said, when I heard the song Cameosis, that's when I was like, oh, man, these guys. Another one. Am I a fan or what? <laughs> <laughs> I'm a fan. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so, it opened so, my so, eyes, so, huh? Mm -hmm. So, so my question, you know, with everything that you had already learned, like you know, coming up and through school and all that stuff, learning how to write for horns and everything, did you do? Did you write any horn arrangements for for them, or horn Not string arrangements? Not in studio. I did some stuff for live, you know, coupled mm -hmm. with because you know they had some great musicians in there. And when mm -hmm. we started, oh, when we went musicians. through transitions, and we when we went through transition and we right. uh, scaled the groove down, and we had mm -hmm. horn players. So some of those arrangements for live I used to do, oh, but okay. in the studio, keep in mind. Uh, during the 80s, we didn't really have a, you know, we scaled down to like five members in the right, first movie. Right, scores, right, you know, Larry right. Which, which broke my heart until I heard what came out. And I'm like, oh, okay, all right, <laughs> yeah, it was, all right. It was interesting because mm -hmm. uh, he was trying to do some different things. Mm -hmm. He wanted to do some different things because a lot of internal stuff going on. Mm -hmm. And uh, asked if I would be interested in, you know, because I did the Knights of the Sound Table tour eventually. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. but by the time I came in uh, for the album, uh, I came in basically most of the music was done, not all of it. Mm -hmm. And I came in to do the vocals, and that's when I, because I, you know, well, I was trying to find a, I couldn't figure out why I was there, number one. Oh, the wow. reason why I turned okay. it down is because I couldn't understand. You guys have got 12 amazing musicians. Uh, okay, that makes sense. And Anthony Lockett on guitar. Right, right, right. What and, and vocal and vocal too, right? And vocal. Right. Killer vocals. Right. What mm -hmm. do you need me for to set up an amp? Or what I mean right. what? What? <laughs> to I be mean, a tech? <laughs> tech? I mean what? Uh -huh. So I was realistic in terms of what I can actually add to uh, the group. I see. And it's like and they were like, Oh, we love your vocals. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I was like, what? <laughs> wow. Okay. And okay. because I never considered myself, even though I used to sing, would sing, I never considered myself as a vocalist. And they were oh, wow. like, no, man, it's like, we familiar with your playing and so forth like that, but we had no idea you could sing. Mm, and I okay. came in and ultimately I replaced Wayne Cooper. Oh, wow. Which was that's, that's a big. to me. I'm like, that's a Steve big... Moore played, that was a big one. Because Steve mm. Moore came in for a short time after Wayne. Mm -hmm. And then uh, things didn't work out with Steve. Mm -hmm. They were looking for another falsetto vocalist. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I came in, next thing you know, that was my job, you know, and guitar became almost secondary. What? Oh, yes. so a featured vocalist first? Yeah. Wow. Okay. So it just kept going, just kept kind of moving, and eventually, and so forth, you know. Mm -hmm. And it mm -hmm. was fun for Anthony because it freed Anthony up uh, to, to focus on his vocals without having to play you know, perform guitar and sing at the same time for a lot of stuff that he wanted to go out front for. So we did that oh, with okay. each other. Like, so oh, whenever okay. he sang lead, I held it down. So we, although we were both playing at the same time, you know, mm -hmm. we were part of, you know, we're still visually, mm -hmm. but the songs that I mainly did lead on, he held it down on guitar and the songs that he sang lead on, I held it down on guitar. Mm -hmm. And we developed this mod and this, this system that we moved forward with. And that's how, you know, ultimately how it kind of worked in the group. This is so cool as far as like your 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 uh, career that you pretty much by the time Cameo comes along, you pretty much had a pretty full career. <laughs> pretty much. You know? Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. Things, I mean, things actually like, started slowing down, and that's what I was afraid of. Uh huh. It's like I don't want to really want to join a band because, uh, you know, uh, I don't want to go back, kind of thing. Mm-hmm, I don't want to mm-hmm. become a member of something. Ah, uh, that's my thing. It's like I don't want to be. And looking at, even though I love the group, it's like mm-hmm. the twelve people in this group. I would be the thirteenth guy, right? Back then, <laughs> as you know. Right, 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 right. Because, you know, there were no samples. There were no this. It's like no, all no, no. Played. Everybody played. I remember yeah. Switch, uh, the, our, our first and only tour that we had done, it was with Cameo in the Barcades. And yeah. I was that guy that was off to the side after every one of our performances watching, you know, watching. And it, it was, it was, I mean, the, 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 the musicianship, you know, in Cameo, I mean, I was like, like, I, I couldn't get enough. I mean, I, me and Philip Ingram, we were always there backstage, like watching, <laughs> watching, watching perform. And of course, like I said, you know, me doubling on trombone, Love the horns, love those screaming horns, and then of course, Larry. And I'm telling you, like, you don't know, right? <laughs> no, but but Larry, man, on those drums, back, man. man. Oh, my yeah. gosh, Larry, Larry on those drums. I mean, just a killer, killer, killer mm-hmm. drum. And I mean, the pocket of life, the pocket of life, yeah, you know. And we love watching that was that focus watching. pocket. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It was so, an amazing experience for me because that's where I actually learned. I realized at some point that that's where I needed to be mm-hmm. because. Even though I was a musician, I was not a performer. Mm, mm-hmm. That's where I actually learned to perform. Wow, really? That's where the whole visual aspect came in. Because wow. they completely whipped me into shape. I was like, at first, you know, you get in first rehearsal. I'm like, I'm not doing that. Right. <laughs> I ain't moving my hips like that. Right, right. I ain't shaking and Cam- like And Cameron had a signature move. <laughs> Oh yeah, I was like, man, I'm Signature. not, I'm yeah. not gonna hurt. I'm not gonna end up in the hospital. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh-huh, uh-huh. That's your mind thing. I just want to point, you know. But no, next thing you know, I'm out. There. <laughs> uh, oh yeah, oh yeah. Establish and you, you establish your identity in the band. You know, totally, totally. You know, establish your identity in the band. Um, and like you said, you know, the 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 band went from you know pretty much a big band to like what five down to five yeah so to again five, to, to four ultimately mm-hmm. yeah and uh, one of the the, the the things that uh we agree to at least with mm-hmm. me it's like okay the only reason i'm going to do this is if i become a member with eight an equal member as opposed mm-hmm. to coming in and being some side man or some no no it's like mm-hmm. and that's how we did it so when we scale down we all had equal you know, equal stake in it, basically. Wow. And, okay. And then that's when I uh, sort of became a part of reshaping the sound. That's when it oh, became okay. more guitar stuff and synth. Right, right, more synth stuff. Because we had to do something different. If if you're going to go from 13 to 5. Right, that was that was huge. Yeah, that you got to, I mean, you can bring all these different people in to do stuff, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the wonderful thing about Cameo, they were always able to sort of morph and remain trendsetters. And the only way to do that mm-hmm. is to keep moving. And people are not going to always be happy with it because a lot of people were not happy with the fact that, you know, we, we scaled down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we had to come out and, and not try to mimic what we used to do. That mm-hmm. was always going to be there. We had to sort of, uh, you know, really new ground. It had to be new ground, new ideas, something mm-hmm. innovative, fresh. And a lot of that stuff, Polygram at the time was like, 
I don't know, even radio thought like uh, alligator woman and she's strange. It's like, what? But it's like, no, just put it on. So from my experience, their experience, it's like, this is where we're going. This is where we're going. Mm. And uh, the minute it hit the airways, it hit. Man. It and mm, we just mm. kind of ran with it. And everything became that dry, slanky, uh-huh. rock kind of thing. Right, right. And still Real funky, still true to candy, mm-hmm. syncopated stuff. Mm-hmm. And when, Ray, when the record company first heard Cameo, right? I mean, not Cameo, Candy, mm-hmm. they were mm-hmm. like, come on, man, this is too syncopated for black No lady. way. What? Yeah, it's like, what about the simple funk stuff like that? Because when we were doing like, you know, and then we went that, and it's like, wait, wait, hold it, hold it. Uh huh. Uh-huh, like, uh-huh. then, then you went on the up, and it's like, you know. Uh huh. Then you did. Yes. Yep. Then they like. Then you went back down. And it's like it's too much going on back there. Oh man. my gosh. You guys are gonna have to simplify. It. And we're like, mm-hmm. no, we're gonna keep it the way it is. Mm-hmm. And then we was like, when we got into that, and when we got, to, it's like, okay, now we gotta. After we finish this pattern, we gotta go back down. We got to start all over again. So when we got to... Boom. Then we start all Thank over you. again. Thank you. I was waiting on that. <laughs> we start all over again. So by the time uh-huh. we got back down to that one, and they started mm-hmm. hearing stuff they on top of, and it's like, we just like, mm-hmm. let's play it. So we called a few DJs in. Uh, they heard it, and it's like, oh, man, this is a smash. And the minute they put this stuff on, whether mm-hmm. it was single life, whether it was attacking with your love, whether it was mm-hmm. all this other stuff that we did, they never backed down, even though the mm-hmm. record company was mm-hmm. trying to play it safe. Mm-hmm. And we never, we never bowed down. Uh-huh. We just kept going. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And it turned out to be the best, best move. Because my point is that we had to do something different that from the 80s. Mm-hmm. I mean, from the 70s, mm-hmm. you know, from the late 80s. And so from, so from Nights at the Sound Table, when that was the last album for this big... With a big band. Yeah, this big band. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you're going to scale down, so we just became more visual in a different way and we took a different turn and we decided to say, okay, we're going to introduce black folks to something a little bit different, a mm-hmm. different kind of punk. Mm-hmm. You know? So I came in there doing like the, the punk rock funk. Uh-huh. And in the middle, <laughs> yeah. and in the middle of the funk, then I break out in a rock solo and it was like, what, you know? Yeah, yeah, it yeah. kind of threw a lot of people off, but then it mm-hmm. became standard. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's how uh, we got there. I got I got to share my little story, which which, which I, I told Charlie about when we first agreed to do this interview. And since since you mentioned it, I was I was sure to pull out like all my albums here for 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 this. <laughs> uh, let's let's bring them over. Let's bring them over. And we turn it around. Oh no! There's my man. Hey, there he is, right there. Did you have right to do that? <laughs> as as I as I used to say, about fifty pounds of hair ago. <laughs> So, but but my story here, there's there's a, the first things you hear on this on this album on side one is a song called "Be Yourself," oh. and Switch Switch oh. was actually in the studio working on Switch Five, and Philip had come to the session as we were working and, and all that, and he literally like just stopped the whole session by bringing this album. He's like, "You guys got to hear this. Wait a minute, stop, just oh, stop, just goodness. stop. Let's put really? this on." He literally put it on like during the session and all that stuff. And we spent maybe like an hour, hour and a half in the studio listening to that album. You know, 
and be wow. yourself. When I first heard that, that one just grabbed me, just just immediately grabbed me. And it's interesting, like you said, you know, you you, you were thinking you have to think different now because you know we're we're moving into like a whole other thing here. To me, it's almost as if yeah. you still remain true to yourselves as far as like the cameo thing, the cameo sound in in a sense, you know. Um, it was different, yeah. but it was still cameo, if if that makes sense, yeah. you know. Yeah. So. It, it was awesome. And like I said, and, and, and I thank Charlie and I thank you again. So, man, that song, Be Yourself, that was my cut. To this day, oh, <laughs> I would also, I would, all, I, was always, I would always post that on Facebook, like the song of the day is this one. Because there was a message in it too. You know, you guys were also awesome songwriters as well. You know, instrumentalists, you. great, great, great instrumentalists, but, but the songwriting, and I mean, the lyrics, I mean, everything, very melodic, everything, that, that was it. So, thank you, man. That was such a, a fun era. Was it, every, it, it everyone was, was so everyone was so talented and made equal contributions and even though mm -hmm. one person would start off with an idea mm -hmm. it took the team to really take it there you know mm -hmm. and that's why it's a little disheartening today when one person is trying to take credit for a lot of stuff that would not mm -hmm. have happened if we were mm -hmm. a team mm -hmm. we were family we were unit mm -hmm. uh, but it was a fun time fun era man and uh, mm -hmm. it's weird because a lot of that stuff that I played, then people were actually thought it was like a piccolo bass or whatever. Mm. But I was basically using my old bass skills to okay. play bass on guitar. Because okay. I, I used are to we, have, are we, talk, are we talking about that song? Are we talking about that song? You're talking about Be Yourself. Okay, yeah, because yeah, I wanted yeah. to ask how you came up with that sound to start. <laughs> uh, but, but it was a sound that I'd already been using because I used to do country solo. Right, oh, with my wow. fingers, where you didn't use a pick. Where you? I can totally you hear it now. What are you doing? Mm -hmm. You know, like country stuff. Yeah. And, uh, okay. So I applied that. To, I applied that stuff to funk. You know. You know, with the country stuff, and I would just take those same uh -huh. techniques that I used to do on bass and country guitar and stuff like that, and I just apply it to funk, where I would use my fingers as opposed to a pick. You know. Oh, you know? You know, thank you, thank you. You gotta play that for me. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! Uh huh. You know, the same kind of thing. It was like, so cool because it almost sounded like a, a keyboard in there. So we were kind of is that a key? Is that a guitar? I mean, how is he doing that on the guitar and all that stuff? And you just missed as far as like the the country aspect of that. And you know, just going back, I can kind of hear. I can hear that country guitar yeah. and incorporating that into this man talk about it was, creativity it was crazy because it was really a combination between country guitar blues guitar mm -hmm. and uh just stuff that you should just sort of that you don't really overthink mm -hmm. you know you just come up with a groove or whatever and it's like you know you know when you do you know when you're doing like you try to keep the thing on going on uh -huh. and, and then you sneak in the middle of it when you like Yes. Like, yeah. Where did that yep. come from? That that was me. That was me when I heard that. What? Uh-huh. <laughs> 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 like... Yes. Yeah. A lot of little simple elements in there mm -hmm. that sort mm -hmm. of kind of stand out but don't really get in the way. But mm -hmm. then you come back. That was the main thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know? <laughs> <laughs> 
and and going going back to what you said earlier as far as like the videos there's also a great video uh, you know tied in with the song and if you want to see charlie like you know break his back and just do all kinds oh, of stuff watch this video <laughs> watch this video you killed it man totally totally killed it that was it. back when we we didn't have any bones actually right. <laughs> Well, well, we could do anything. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> so, awesome, awesome. So as far as like the business, I mean, the business is going through like a whole bunch of different changes from then to now. How are you with, how are you with the business, with the business now? I mean, uh, you're doing your own thing, obviously. And like you said at the beginning, you're, you've got like a bunch of, of your own projects. How are you handling yeah. things with the business now? Or how do, you, how do you see the business now? I'm glad you asked that question because we're constant. The business is constantly changing and transforming. You know, it was it, it was a completely different business back in the, you know, when when we were doing our thing and mm -hmm. record companies were actually signing bands, uh, and of course, everybody wanted hits. But with record companies, they signed you on for the long haul. And if you didn't mm -hmm. get uh, a hit the first time around or whatever or on this album, you knew you had a second, third album coming. Mm -hmm. You know. Mm -hmm. Well, that doesn't really apply these days because they were looking at the overall creativity of the band and they weigh that with some of the other people on their label and says, okay, we've got room for this. We've got mm -hmm. room for innovation. We've got room for creativity. We've got enough of this stuff. And they took chances. You know, mm -hmm. there are A&R departments, or, you know, where they actually develop acts or marketing promotion where you can get together with people and come up with concepts. You know, we worked records. We did in-stores. Mm -hmm. You know, we did the clubs, we did track, we, whatever it took to get out there to be a part of that team. And it was a bunch of people working together. Mm -hmm. Well, that stuff doesn't really exist anymore. Mm -hmm. So now with, uh, you know, we sort of relegated to, to uploading stuff to, you know, CD Baby or, you know what I mean? And then mm -hmm. yes. take it from there. Mm -hmm. Because you know that... Uh, with the style of music you're doing, that it's not going to necessarily, not, unless you want to do commercial stuff or radio stuff, and that's mm -hmm. okay, mm -hmm. uh, that you don't fit that mold anymore to those folks. Ah. Mm -hmm. yeah. and, mm -hmm. and all the people that you grew up with, you know, uh, like at one point in my career, I knew every person who was the president of a record company, oh. from Warner Brothers to Polygram to so mm -hmm. forth, and you can go down the list and say, Wow, I actually knew these people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, that doesn't really exist anymore. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. so a lot of the people who are in promotions and marketing, who worked your record, who help you get to where you are, well, those people are actually either retired or they moved on and so forth like this. There's a whole new team, a slew of people out here with new ideas who've embraced technology, have figured out a, a, a different way to get things played. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you have to compromise. That brings ah, us to what we're talking about. So point. to some degree, you have to try and figure out how can I uh, get my stuff played without mm -hmm. losing myself in the process, mm -hmm. without converting to the point where you're pretending to be someone that you're not just to get stuff on radio, without mm -hmm. selling out, mm -hmm. you know? Right. Uh, because, because of how long you've been in the business, people are going to always look at you in a certain way anyway. Mm -hmm. Now you have your mainstay, you've got your fans, you've got the people who support you and they're going to always get behind you. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, to be honest, 
they'll flock out to the concerts. You do a concert, 5,000 strong show up mm-hmm. and support you and sing mm-hmm. every song on stage. Mm-hmm. But if you release another funk record, they're not going to buy it. Uh-huh. And they want you to do funk. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. But if you try to release another funk record in this modern age, most part, they usually don't buy it. That doesn't mm-hmm. mean that nobody's going to buy it, meaning that. Right, right. So we have to try and figure out some kind of ways to compromise to be commercial uh, if you want to stay out here and, and remain relevant. Mm-hmm. Now, if you've got a huge fan base, uh, you know, and you've established that as a group, then it's a lot easier to do that. But once mm-hmm. you start doing solo stuff and you're trying to pull from the fans that you already have and expand your audience, then you have to do some compromise, mm-hmm. not just creatively with your music, but just in terms of the way you do business. Uh-huh. So mm-hmm. now you're having different conversations with people on the phone about how to get your stuff out mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, how to do it. So a lot of artists opt to just do it independently. Oh, okay. Okay. So they think, okay, well, I'm going to promote my own stuff. I'm going to upload it to one of the forums and uh, sell it, make it known, and uh, do it that way. Gotcha. gotcha. And that's where a lot of us are right now, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And because some of the deals that are actually in place doesn't really suit guys like us. Uh, right, you know, right. Mm-hmm. You know, right. <laughs> they're not contracts that we would sign. Right, I, absolutely. You're absolutely right. There's yep. only 360 deals and things like that. We're like, what? You're reading mm-hmm. this stuff and it's like, oh man, I'm mm-hmm. sorry I wasted mm-hmm. your time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not signing this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, that, yeah. That's so cool that you stayed on, that you, you know, the creative person that you are, that you were still uh, attentive to the business side as well, you know. So, which is very important in this in this thing that we do. Yeah, you have to be. I mean, uh, you know, even though I'm a solo artist, I'm still not in this alone. Mm-hmm. So we're still trying to make an, a living out here. Mm-hmm. You know, we're still trying to do what uh, we love to do. And sometimes mm-hmm. it's not about, uh, you know, we all would love to make money. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. But it's about maintaining who you are uh. and uh, being happy with what you do. I mean, there are a lot of things that you can do for money. Right. But at yes. the end of the day, yeah, there are a whole lot of things. That you no. can do. <laughs> right. But uh, I don't know. I mean, this is something that I prefer to do, that uh, I am going to do. But mm. I'm happier when I'm doing it on my terms. If I'm mm. not doing it on my terms, then I'm not interested. Ah, nice. I love it. I love it. What What advice, and you probably just, just covered it all right there. What advice would you have like to those that are up and coming in the business? Um, I don't know. You probably, I think you just covered everything, but you know, I'll, I'll just put it out there again. You know, what advice would you, would you have to offer, especially, especially like in this time that we're living now, and this is an especially difficult time that we're all living through now. I can say, take the science scholarship. <laughs> <laughs> but I won't do that. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. Now, but, if, you if you, but you won't, but you won't do that. But you won't say that. <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be crazy. That's, that's not good advice. For right. me. Me <laughs> Look, the thing is. Then, then again, maybe it is. <laughs> <laughs> you know, in this day and age, that might be uh, the best thing to do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, uh, but things mm-hmm. are so different then. But what the advice that I would give every musician, if you are mm-hmm. a musician, it doesn't matter what level of musician you are on, what level, what genre, whatever. If this is what you really want to do, I'm not talking about some flyer on ice trying to figure out how to sell a few records, make it some, you know, 
you're gonna have to put in the time first of all if you put in the mm -hmm. time and effort into your craft and you're comfortable where you are then you're gonna have to be prepared to roll up your sleeves and hear some no's and get some rejection but at the end of the day know that you're confident enough within yourself to know that you will persevere you will make you will make it you will make it through this but you got to really harden yourself you know be aware of what's going on around you uh listen to 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 some of those old school stories mm -hmm. but the most important thing is surround yourself with real musicians mm -hmm. from time to time mm -hmm. it's a completely different uh feel completely different advice and not only does it keep you grounded you know it keeps you focused you try to incorporate that. You learn, of course, learn as much as you can too about what's going on out here today in terms of the business and where you want to be. But mm -hmm. a lot of people have this misconception simply because you come up with a little idea and that's what's going on right in this, in this modern world that mm -hmm. I got an idea. This is, I'm gonna, this is going to be a hit mm -hmm. without paying any dues, without <laughs> doing any homework. Right. Yeah, mm -hmm. just, this should be on the radio and then they get the feelings hurt Mm -hmm. Because they realize its production is not going to mm -hmm. be up to par with what's out here. Mm -hmm. Or you're actually going to have to sing. Or you're actually right. going to have to do. These kids, the way things are right now, and you hear these records, mm -hmm. they really don't think they have to really be anything or know anything about anything. Mm -hmm. I mean, especially when rappers come in and they'll talk to a record, but the musician comes in and turns it into a melody. Mm -hmm. And next mm -hmm. thing you know, they've got the synthetic melody going in the background, and not one of them can sing a lick. All right. Uh -huh. you know, the musician mm -hmm. comes in and does something different to it. That's the musician or the production, uh, or mm -hmm. you know, the producer comes in or whatever. Mm -hmm. Try and explore options in your field. You know, try and be expand. I mean, just because you you can be a great rapper, fine, but try and expand that. Try and build on that because the more mm -hmm. you know, the more you can do with it. Mm -hmm. In terms of musicians coming into the business, young musicians coming into the business, if this is what you want to do, be serious about it. Mm -hmm. Find something mm -hmm. that works for you. Find something that you can stick with. Find something that you can grow with. And, and don't be discouraged. Just stay on the path. Because it's all a gamble. I don't mm -hmm. care how good you are at the end mm -hmm. of the day. It all depends on where you are at a certain place, who you're talking to at a certain time, uh, who's listening at the right time, all of these things come into play. Because mm -hmm. other than that, you can have the best product. But if you don't have a way to really get it out to the masses or have people hear it, it's like having a billboard in space. Oh my God. Absolutely <laughs> nothing. Right? Right. I love it. I love it. It would mean absolutely nothing. So mm -hmm. you have to try network, get things out there, try and get it heard, be seen, mm -hmm. and try to move yourself alone. But there's so much competition out here. Mm -hmm. But I just, as a musician, encourage people to try and be the best that they can be. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. there are a lot of good musicians out that don't aspire to be artists. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of artists who don't aspire to be musicians. Uh, that's the truth. So there's this void. So where we came from, you know, the era, hey, artists wanted to be good musicians and musicians wanted to be artists. That's how we right. got caught up in that void doing solo albums and stuff right. like that. Right, right. But it seemed to be a void with that. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of the mm -hmm. good musicians tend to be on stage doing live performing, 
but a lot of them when when the market just uh there wasn't a place from the marketplace they went to church mm. and that's how gospel <laughs> music that's how gospel music transformed right right now you listen to some of the gospel music now you're like oh my goodness mm -hmm. that's how innovative music used to be back then mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. but now mm -hmm. those musicians who could not find a place in the modern world or fit within whatever's going on out here Mm -hmm. Some of those top-notch guys went to church and says, okay, instead of that chord, why don't we just do this? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they started pulling their buddies in, and now <laughs> mm -hmm. they've mm -hmm. taken that to a whole nother level. Uh, right. The artists out here today, some of these young artists need to have that same attitude about what they do mm -hmm. in the marketplace. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's work. It's, it's, it's a lot of work, and, and work. There's, there's no way that you can get around get around this without without putting in the work no you got to put in the work if you want to mm -hmm. be a musician you got to put in the work mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and you know it, that that entails you know of course practicing and all that stuff and charlie charlie definitely put in the hours back in the day you know <laughs> and st as you can see in that background he still is <laughs> well I, <laughs> so. I, mean, I i certainly don't 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 practice as much as i should uh but i also don't have the time to practice as much. but i do try but to you still play I still play. There you go. There you go. Got to. If not, I would just cease to exist. There you go. There you go. In in that, I'm I'm just gonna let your words speak for themselves. Like I said, one of my favorite songs written by Charlie and Cameo is "Just Be Yourself," and I think wow. you, just, you incorporated <laughs> that in that and everything you just said. And like I said, to me, that's that's my song. Not only because the music is great, but the message in that song is just just it. You know, to me. So. Um, if, you, if you get a chance as a listener, please go to YouTube and check this song out. This is an old school song, but check it out, you know. And like Charlie said in the song, just be yourself in this business. Charlie, thank you so much for being here. I really thank appreciate you, Eddie. It. I appreciate it, brother. And this is truly inspirational, not, not only for the, the listeners, but like I said, I always take something from every interview that I got. And with you, man, believe me, I'm, I'll be talking about this for a while. So thank you. Well, again. Thank you, man. <laughs> anytime, anytime. And I really appreciate the fact, you know. Awesome. That, awesome. And again, Charlie Singleton, my name is Eddie Flewellen with The Playground. And as I always say, this is where the players play. Thank you so much.